Hey guys, welcome back to the Backshift Show. We have Lydia here, who is the CEO and founder of Housemates.io. They are an online marketplace for, to help students find accommodation securely and quickly. Super cool business, but I'm not gonna talk about it. Lydia, tell me all about yourself. So tell me, first of all, not about Housemates, but tell me about where this all start because you're what, 21, 22, and already you've had like 700 startups and you're like the best entrepreneur ever. Where did it all start? What was the first, what was the first entrepreneurial thing you did? The first entrepreneurial thing was, I was 12 years old and my family, all my family got businesses. They've all like high risk people. Uh, had a piece of land which wasn't getting used, joined it to our house and I turned that into a turkey farm. <laughs> whoa, 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 that is not what I expected you to say. Yeah. So where, where's home for you? Uh, so home is Cronton. So we're just we're in between Manchester and Liverpool. I can. I mean, there's a certain twang. Yeah. Yeah. Getting better. Is it rural? Yeah. Okay. So so you're in a rural zone, bit of land, and you're like, I'm going to turn this into a turkey farm. Yeah. Well, before well, turkeys were second. The first I used to buy fertile eggs on eBay, hatch them in an incubator, and sell them as domestic ducks and chickens. So this has been that was 11 years old to so 12 years old. The turkey farm started, and yet I had. Uh, hundreds of turkeys. What? And how did that go? <laughs> it went well. Um, you know, some of those savings went towards my first startup, tech startup. Um, you know, the profit on that, you know, you buy a turkey, a day old turkey from a hatchery for about £1.20. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, my turkeys were going to Christmas for £50, £60. Pounds. So, that is some serious markup. I'm yeah. in the wrong game. Yeah, it, it, it was hard work though because I was in school at the time so I would get up early to do the feed in the morning. I did have about five feeds throughout the day so I'd get family to help me with that but it was all my thing. So when you were 12 years old, you were running a turkey farm with like crazy markup. What were you doing with the money? Saving it. Saving it. Just like, I mean, when I was yeah. 12, I mean, 100% of that was going on um, sweets and football stickers. But like, you know, you were saving it up for your next venture. So what did the, and what and you say you were surrounded by like entrepreneurs and high risk people. That's quite a big influence. I always think that people are mostly influenced by their, by their family. Um, my business is about competition and my family is just ultra competitive. I think it all started on in board games on a Sunday dinner. You know, that's where that starts from. But like for you, so like of your family, they're all entrepreneurs, they're all risk takers and that just bled into you, I guess. Yeah, that's all I know. Um, my dad, he, when he was 16, 17, he, he got a job as a bricklayer down south on, as in, in construction. And then by the time he was... 18 going 19 he was running over 150 men on site mm. and then my mum said to him they met very young Stephen you need to do this for yourself you're making people too much money so then he went on by himself and he grew a big groundworks company that done all the residential so um red row homes barrett homes and you'd have four or five year contracts of site yeah, ahead yeah. Of and i've watched my dad go through those motions you know unfortunately back in 2013 after building that business and employing an awful lot of people um, and, ha you know, each day is from one site to the next site, driving yeah, around yeah, to manage. Yeah, that's tough. Um, there was too much retentions, put himself into liquidation and started all over again after nearly 30 years in commercial. Jeez. So I've seen those highs and yeah, lows. Crikey, yeah. Um, which have been really great for me because you know what not to do and what to do and how do you treat people. And it was great because I watched my dad, all those relationships that he built for all those years, he paid everyone off himself and started again and took all those materials and all those contractors across to his new company. Yeah, amazing. 
also like that teaches you some serious resilience because obviously you see that someone goes through a hard time but like it's going to be all right you just got to keep going you yeah you went, went back on a spade after 30 years now seven years later from 2013 to now you actually get paid better cash flow better than commercial instead of residential but everything happens is it the hero i should get him on the show yeah yeah, nice. yeah. <laughs> i like it all right so you did that you were you were a turkey entrepreneur um, and then you started your first startup, as we would call it, right? You moved into tech, is that right? Yeah, so I was in school. I absolutely hated school. Yeah. Um, just wasn't my place. Some people are great in school. I couldn't really f- find where I fitted in in school. Yeah. I was always friends with boys, and I went to high school, and then dynamics change when you go to high school, and people are looking for relationships, and boys could it wasn't really cool to be my friend anymore because there was girls in the yeah, mix. yeah 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 so i was still tomboy lydia amongst it all and girls made my ha- life hard so i ended up dropping out of school when i was 15 when you're 15 yeah Jeez. so i took my gcses as an external student but what that meant is i went from obviously the normal school routine to homeschooling for a few days a week to get me through my gcses extremely isolated but better than, than it was in school um I was training a lot in the shed, which my dad, because he's in construction, converted to a gym at the bottom of the garden. And I just became obsessed with fitness and it was my my coping method. And through that, I thought I want to build a platform for people to connect to. This was before the Instagram fitness boom um, and the whole hashtags that go with that. But I built a platform called Fit Flash and that matched people who were in the same age group as me. Um, with similar fitness goals. We wasn't a Garmin or a Fitbit or anything like that, but we provided a platform where you could share your fitness journey and it was very much tailored around about 30, 30 sports on there. I say that every every product starts with a problem. So what was the problem you were solving? What did you, what did you see that was missing that you wanted to capitalize on? Yeah, so I was obviously considerably young, probably shouldn't have been lifting weights, but was lifting weights. Yeah. Wanted to meet other people who were lifting weights. And where do you go for a platform like that? At the time, Instagram was just taken off. As I say, it didn't have that whole fitness, 300 million posts underneath the hashtag yeah, fitness sure. as it does now. Um, where do you go to share and connect with people who are like-minded? Yeah, sure. Um, so I just created I created that community from scratch and we took that to nearly 30,000 users. How did you grow that? I mean, 30,000 users is a lot of users. How did mm. you grow it? So most of that was organic. Um, you know, we didn't do, we didn't run Apple ads, PPC, Facebook ads, didn't have the marketing budget for that. Um, so what I actually did was, what I didn't know at the time was influencer marketing, the very beginning of it. Okay, nice. Um, micro-influencers who didn't have 200,000 plus followers um, but we're on different platforms and we're sharing their journey there. So for the first 12 months of Fifth Flash, it was very much like through the app store, we got downloads and people were searching for the solution. But then to grow it to, to this peak of where it went, it very much was me sending merchandise out all over the world. We had users in over 20 countries wow. and people were putting the merchandise on, taking photos and downloading the app. So the cost per acquisition. Were you um, were you designing the merchandise? Yeah, I was yeah. doing everything. I I'd never even, I didn't even know this is the thing when I started Fifth Flash what a prototype was. So I just read every book and every watched every YouTube tutorial to kind of get my head yeah. around that. And now I know what UI, UX, product management, and everything is. But back then I had no idea what I was doing. Well, you just you're just a user. You're just experiencing. It. You're just trying to solve a problem. I love that. I love that. It's just so scrappy. I think I would say the best founders are people who just like just get like, you know, just balls deep in it and say, let's just go for this. You know, I like that. Okay, so you did that. You um, 
what did you how did that end that story yeah so for me um you've got a lot of investors on the show you've got a lot of friends who are investors it hits a point where it was okay you either raise pre-seed which you didn't know what pre-seed was i'm sure at the time you didn't were being like what is was. that yeah um you raised some money from somewhere yeah yeah uh, to get this to the next place because it wasn't revenue generating but its business model would have been an ads model yeah sure there was no but functionality to scale. But you got some around. traction. You got like thirty thousand people on there, and they're engaged. Like it's that's a viable business, right? So I decided I was watching the market. We had competitors. We were northwest based, but we had London based competitors at the time. So platforms that are no longer here. They were called Nom Nom, Healthy Selfie, really wacky, crazy branding. They went out, and some of those raised up to four hundred thousand on pre-seed. They were labeling it as pre-seed at the time, and I watched that from money hitting the bank and press going out to six to nine months later and complete pivots in their platforms. And when I say that, they went from competing directly with us in social and community to becoming PT tracking platforms for their clients. And I was not understanding why that was happening until I started looking at my own data. That's where I started becoming obsessed with data, why the retention on my platform was dropping. And I started interviewing the users because I had a really close relationship with the users on Fifflash. Why aren't you using this thing as much? And that was the very beginning of where, you know, the tipping point came for Instagram's fitness scene. Yeah. And quite frankly, as I say, we weren't a Garmin or a Fitbit that gave you stats. So if anyone's going to beat you on community, it's going to be a company acquired by Facebook. And that's, you know, I looked at that and I said, well, I can still go out because I've got this traction and these numbers and raise. But quite frankly, I haven't got a vision for five to seven years for this. And it's important to be honest about that. And I'm not going to take investors cash, burn the cash and ruin my reputation. So I had no ego. I'd learned everything that I'd learned for two and a half years. And I discovered that there's bigger and better things out there and more better ways to spend my time. Well, high five. I mean, I love that. I love that to have that foresight, which a lot of people don't have now. Um, but still have it. It's amazing. So, okay. So that happened. The end of that story is you had a cool product, you had lots of experience, and you were ripped. So that's good. Okay, so <laughs> not as ripped anymore. <laughs> what was the so what happened next? After that, I became obsessed with an idea around hashtags because I was using hashtags a lot to grow, fit fit flash and other networks like the Instagram and the micro influencers and the Twitter. What did you learn from that? Like, I mean, the the reality of it is like you have to it's really hard to grow a business without a social presence, right? And a big part of that is, and it's something like, I, I don't get, you know, I'm not into it. I, as anyone who knows me knows, I fucking hate social media. You know, I don't get it. Um, the, um, I always think that, you know, if I want someone to like me, I'll have a chat with them. Um, but like, it's, it's, I just don't get it, but I know it's so super important. But one of these things, people, it's just like a dark art, like, you know, the, the hashtag thing and it's, it's a science and it makes, it makes such a huge difference. What were your, well, first of all, how did you, what was it that made you think, was it you saw that everyone had the same problem and everyone was trying to struggle with it? And what kind of problem were you solving? Well, for me, I seen everyone that was using hashtags. Again, this is three, four years ago. Algorithms changed considerably on these platforms now. But I seen what hashtags meant to people and how could you match people through the hashtags. And I became obsessed with this idea of social DNA. What is, what is that? So, you know, what is your social DNA online? You know, what are the things? This is now... What I think there's a Netflix thing on it. The Social Dilemma. Yeah, I watched it. I actually, I actually watched it last night. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Everyone in my office has been talking about it, and that's that's quite scary because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> um, but for me, it's very much about what are you interested in, 
who can be affiliated to you, who could be a great connection to you, but you don't know yet. And that whole matching element around content, people, interests, etc. At the time, I thought that, okay, well, this could be a huge thing for young, for early stage companies coming to market. How do I create a platform that has an algorithm that matches people on the hashtags that they use frequently across other platforms? Okay. Um, I spent 18 months doing that. I learned so many lessons. What was the big one? Big lesson is just don't do a social platform anymore, Lydia. Give up. Because <laughs> you, you, Simple <laughs> that. Just don't do it. That, that's yep. it. You know, anyone who says to me now I want to build a social platform, it's you have rare cases like TikToks and things like that that are the next big thing. Yeah, but they've been smashing it for years. I mean, your fight has been there for hours. That's like, it. For years. Like it's not like they just dropped in. People they're not an overnight success. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a tough game. So I spent uh, nearly nearly eighteen no 14 months, something on that, with another co-founder of mine called Danny. And we were real deep into it. And we'd spent, quite frankly, so much time crafting an algorithm and testing it and beta testing. And then when it went to go live, we were about a month or so away from going live. And then I read a TechCrunch article that said that Instagram was launching a hashtag algorithm. And that was the end of that. So, heartbroken. But well, these well, things happen. Yeah, I love your attitude, though. Because you're like, well, yeah, you're heartbroken, but you're like... You learn some, I say to people, it doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter about the product you're building. Like, you're building something, you're building a business, right? You're learning all those things along the way, okay? Like, you're learning about product development, you're learning about how to market, you're learning about how to assess competitors, you're learning about pro problem assessment, you learn about all these really super cool things. It just that happens that your product isn't going to work out for the market, right? That It is what it is. You've, you've not come away from that empty-handed. How are you funding it? Was it just up from the last project? Yeah, but I didn't really have any overheads. I still live with my parents now. The dream? The dream. I mean, I bet they love that. They do. My, my, well, I'm the last one at home now because I've got older siblings. So What's the setup? How many siblings you got? I've got two. I've got a, a sister who's in her mid-30s and a brother who's in his late 20s. So I've now got nieces and nephews, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm still at home. So I'm still the baby in my mum's eyes. <laughs> I love that. You're super serious. <laughs> well, no, and you're just at home. I don't want the overhead. You'll I don't be earning more rent. than your parents. And you'll be up in your bedroom. You'll be like, I'm going to buy this house for you. I love that. I love that. That's a cool dream. Okay, that's cool. Okay, so... That didn't work out. You came with an idea that ultimately was flawed and wasn't going to work out. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, wh what happened next? Now, this I guess we're now on to housemates. Now, housemates I find fascinating because you're not a student. No. Yeah? You haven't been to uni. I hate, I hate the thought of uni. You hate the thought of uni. A guy <laughs> told me never to go to uni. Uh, quite, quite an interesting subject. So I dropped out of school, done my GCSEs, and I had fifth flash. And my mum and dad were like, oh, is this going to be a big thing? Maybe just sign yourself up to a college. Went to a college for two days a week. It was meant to be five days. What were you studying? Um, BTEC extended the play in IT. So I was coding and things like that. Okay, that's cool. Um, visual basic, boring. Um, and my mum was like, oh, just do it. It's a way of socializing because being a founder is quite lonely and I didn't have a team back then because we didn't have funding. So I, I went through that process and the, the principal of the college said, I know you're very entrepreneurial and everyone hated me for it. We'll come in two days a week instead of five because I understand you've got your own side project. And the college made us apply for university. So as you can imagine, I didn't want to go to university. So I was not wanting well, to. I, I say to people, like, what, what, like, there's nothing wrong with going to uni, but just ask yourself why you're going. That's yeah, it. I mean, that's yeah. the question, right? And I think you did. It's, it's so, there's so much pressure. I think you're showing it exactly. There's so much pressure to go. Um, Great uh, friend of the show, Ollie Forsyth, who we both know, like he's got this big thing about, you know, you don't have to go. And I think 
he's really outspoken about it. I think so many people are like, and I'm so glad that you brought it up because I think it's something that like, if you want to be an entrepreneur, go and be one. We had a guy on the show last week, Guy Harrington, okay? The most incredible property developer was studying property development at Sheffield Hallam. And he dropped out after a year because he's like, why the fuck am I here learning about property development? I'm just going to go and develop some properties. Like, same again. Like, what were you learning to do? Code? Go and code. Yeah. If you want to go and build a business, go and build a business. You don't need to go to university for that. At the same time, if you feel like you do need to go to university. Well, yeah, because every single member of my team has been to university and I need them and they're all skilled in their own areas. And they've, well, and they've experienced the problem that you're yeah. solving. Which you haven't. No, but I'll, I'll tell you how. Okay, tell me, yeah. So anyway, that guy, the principal, they made us apply for university. I went for an interview at Liverpool Hope because they made me apply. I applied to computer science and machine learning and applied AI. And when I went to met, the, met this guy in the computer science department, he said, I've never said this to anyone before. He said, but do not go to university because he was like, you won't last five minutes here. And I said, oh, why? And he said, well, you're just 100 miles an hour. You'd be just an absolute terror to have yeah great good so good like, feedback great yeah. i won't do that um so anyway how i came across about housemates instagram launched its hashtag algorithm well me and danny we we were like what are we going to do next so you're 18 at this point yeah 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 um i had a family member who went to university i went and stayed with her in the private halls of residence because it was the first few weeks there and i see that there's this huge disconnect of students get thrown in halls of residence there's no onboarding to that. And I created a platform, which was another spin-off, which was called Hall Hang. So what's, what's, what does onboarding mean in this context? So how do you know, um, even today, going to university, how do you know who you're going to live with? In private halls or campus accommodation, they don't give you that onboarding piece, and it's worse for international students. So everyone gets thrown in as just to meet the occupancy rate. I thought, okay, so there's an opportunity here. And I just got offered a job down south. A friend of my dad's, who's an investor into the company called Amplify, this very successful entrepreneur, he's had exits behind him, has got this fitness and AI company. Because I'd done Fifth Wash, he'd never had, he hadn't done consumer before. He'd done B2B like data centers and sold them off. So he was going into Amplify and I got called in with app, app uh, experience. So how, how do you make this consumer friendly? So I ended up becoming a product manager. Okay. And I was 50-50, so I was 50% remote and 50% down there, back and forth. Where was it? Horsham. That's a long fucking way from where you are. Yeah, I was doing a drive. I was doing that crazy drive. Was that like five hours? Yeah. And then I was just staying in like Premier Inns and things like that. There's nothing in Horsham. No, there's <laughs> yeah, nothing. Exactly. There's nothing. Um, but it was great because what it meant is at the same time I built Hall Hang, which was how, allowing you to understand who lived around you compliant with GDPR. I must say. Ah. Um, and what happened is uh, I was in this product manager job for about eight, nine months. Fantastic, learnt loads, managed a great team. The CEO gave me a lot of ownership in that. And I hired people and I learned so many things that I hadn't before working for myself. And Hall Hang was this side project, but it was ticking over and we were getting more and more international students using the service. And they were telling other international students back home who were pre-accommodation, so they hadn't booked it yet, but they would land on the public forum and the app and talk about how hard it was to book accommodation. And this is where Housemates started. Um, so i done about another three months. So of a, of a day, I was a product manager. And of a night, I was in Horsham or my bedroom and I was speaking to all these thousands of students and interviewing them all to understand Jeez. it. So, okay, so that's how you got your... That's cool, I want to dig into that. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? 
making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So because you weren't from the sect, now this happens a lot to a lot of people. Like, um, I'll tell you myself, like, you know, I have a gaming adjacent product. I'm not a gamer. I hate gaming. So... I speak to gamers, right? So what were you doing? Because you hadn't experienced the problem. You experienced it for one night staying with your yeah. sibling. Yeah. yeah. So how did you learn about that problem? Well, I just spoke to as many students as possible from every type of background. So. And what were you trying to, what were you trying to figure out the problem? What were you, what are the things you were trying to figure out? So what is the problem? So why is it hard to pick student accommodation? Well, three things here today, what we saw today that have been the same and this goes back, people who were in university 20 years ago still tell me the same problem, so it's been around for a long time. I was literally in university 20 years ago, yeah. thanks for the sick age burn there, Sorry. thanks very much. So, why does it take so long to book accommodation? Yeah. Why does it cost, right, because there's, there's a cost with that, there's a financial cost, and there's yeah. a cost of time associated with the first point, and why does it lack transparency? And those things get worse for certain demographics of students. So, you know, we live in a digital age now where you click a button and your Uber arrives or your delivery is at your door. Um, or you check out on ASOS and you use Apple Pay everywhere and it's so quick and easy to transact and book. The same with a holiday on booking.com. It's done in, the, in a button. With student accommodation, you've got many agents in that chain who add time. So it still takes five and a half weeks to book student accommodation on average globally. And we know that because I've been around the world speaking to students physically. Um, and... What, okay, why does it take that time? Because there's educational agents, visa agents, house agents, and all those agents will charge the students, even, you know, believe it or not, we've got a tenant ban in the UK and there's agents still charging tenants. Yeah. We have a lot of we have a lot of data around that and a lot of a lot of insights around that. Um and for us, the consumer wants it here and now. They want to be able to do this serious transaction here and now. Um, but securely, fast, and they want to have complete transparency as to what that means. Yeah. So I, I traveled everywhere and I spoke to so many people. I've been to, I've been the other side of the world. I've been Melbourne. Um, Sounds like a horrible research trip. You must have been gutted when you decided to go there. Well, it's, it's, it, it never stops, right? So like Melbourne was the most recent one, but I've been everywhere, all over this country, other countries, speaking to students. Millions of Zoom calls with students. Yeah. Uh, every dem demographic as well to understand. And it's the same pro three points of the problem from everywhere. Why does it take time? Why does it cost money? And why isn't it transparent? Because I'm, I'm a new person moving away from home. It's usually my first move away from home. Yeah, sure. I don't have a clue what a tenancy agreement is. I don't know what a bond is and how that differentiates in the UK to a deposit. Um, what, you know, do I need a guarantor? Do I not need a guarantor? What's the process? And is it the same all over the world? People yeah. have the same problem. same problem. Incredible. So I flipped whole hang. I quit my product manager job. Yeah. Three months. I was on good salary. I was young. It was an amazing yeah. opportunity. And I thanked the founder a lot. Damien, he's a great guy. But I thought, you know what? It's just a comfort blanket. The salary is a comfort blanket. I've been there before. I'm just going to go out. I've got some savings in the bank for my job. And I'd done that at the end of 2018. I rebranded Hall Hang on the App Store to Housemates and I became the marketplace. And when I say that, that manual piece of 
matching students to accommodation providers and landlords to understand those exact three pain points, to really understand them. I had to be the agent. That sounds controversial, but I had to do it to be able to do what we do today. Because then I've learned what we can automate, how we can make it fast here and now yeah. by doing the manual work and the matchmaking. And I spent most of 2019 that way. A lot of people thought I lost my mind. You spent 2019 manually matching yeah. like students and landlords. Yeah. And I went through an accelerator called Ignite. Any good? Uh, yeah, it was good. What, what, what did it give you? Network. Like yeah. most accelerators. Yeah. Um, you know, they really push on being lean and doing things manually, which I was still doing up until that point, but we were building the tech behind the scenes. But yeah, uh, you know, 2019 was a year where people thought I lost my mind. I left a considerably well job late the, the, the year before. And it was like, when is this going to take off? What I say to everyone is, Housemate is just getting started. It's been 18 months, nearly two years of solid groundwork of building unbelievable connections in student accommodation in making sure that we have a global problem because where I sit now is that I'm geared up to spend the next 10 to 15 years of my life on this problem because it's that big. 180 yeah. billion is spent on student accommodation a year. Jeez. Globally, yeah. is that? Globally. And there's still no, no brand that comes to your mind. Like if I say food delivery, it's delivery or it's just eat. Or if I say taxi, it's Lyft or Uber, so forth. If I say student accommodation, no matter what demographic I speak to, everyone crumbles. Oh, that was a terrible experience. And it's so, there's so much noise in the market. So if you Google student accommodation, you get so many misleading websites that make you feel as a student, you're gonna transact and you're gonna book a property there and then. But you're not, you're not. And you know, we're out now raising our seed round. Our investment deck is very much, when you look at competitor analysis, there's big players in our space who've raised over 60 million in VC, but our actual, what I would call a managed marketplace, there's people behind them still. It's not an automated system. It's what I was last year. Sure. Uh, but at scale, considerably well businesses doing over 100 million a year, but um, how, how does that meet the consumer needs of today? No. Yeah. Um, so that, that's why I'm here. That's super interesting. So how did you, um, it's a couple of questions there. How do you make money? So we've came to market with a completely different business model, which is to explain that to you, all of those um, platforms that you will hear or you will yep. see. Yep. So student.com, housing, anywhere, they'll all come up on Google, great companies, great founders. They all work on a yearly commission, a bit similar to a high street uh, letting agent. So they'll take a yearly commission. That can range anything from three and a half percent based on volume of students that they send to a, an operator, a student accommodation provider, up to 20 to 30% of the yearly rental, which is unbelievable money that they're making. Um, they are all lead gen platforms, believe it or not. So what that means is, as a student, I go to their platform and I say, I'm gonna book that accommodation. And it looks like I'm booking it there and then. But what happens is someone will give me a phone call a few days later. And I'll be dragged on for a few weeks, which goes back to the problem of time. And yeah, yeah. Um, and that when it actually is complete in their eyes as a platform, they will send that to the operators. So say uh, uh, an operator around the corner, a high rise student accommodation. Lydia here is booked your accommodation. But what that actually is, believe it or not, which is an email and a name 
and a handover. There's no payments associated with it. There's no tenancy agreements associated with it. It is lead gen and attached to the same email, they send an invoice for that lead. But that invoice is based on a yearly. So they're charging for something that hasn't converted yet, but they're charging 10 times more than us because of our, our business model is we're free to list on our platform for any property owner. So there's no listing fee. We're not a spare room or gum tree. Um, we don't charge any reoccurring subscription or anything like that. We charge 20% on the first month's rent on a complete transaction. A transaction to us, a housemate, is a sale because every, every booking that's facilitated through the platform yeah. is prepaid. That's cool. So we're no longer in an element which reduces cost across the chain. Yeah. Because if you think about it, acquisition cost is down for an operator to get a student into fill occupancy. And there's no back office cost associated with that. Because usually when it's lead gen, their account managers are going to scramble to convert that lead. Yeah, sure. Uh, this is a converted lead. And for the students, it makes them feel, well, it meets the, the desire, which is I have literally just booked that room and it's taken off the market and it's mine. That's amazing. I really like that. I think it's a really cool idea. And I like the fact that you're solving a very specific problem and you're just trying to use technology to automate that and make it better and solve real problems for real people. I like that a lot. Cool story. I mean, hugely intimidating. You're much better at your job than I am, which is disappointing considering I'm 100 years older than you. It comes as part of the show where people email him, remember some, and they ask these questions. But the first two questions I always ask everyone, every founder, what was the biggest fuck up you made in this journey? Um, and the reason I ask is that like, just so that other people don't make the same one. I think every I think every founder has this, that you think you knew best. Yeah, I get that. Right? Yeah. And you think uh, that you can do this all by yourself. Yeah. And then it hit me because we have hired a lot of people to say that we're pre-seeds. And that's fine. We're not putting ourselves in like in red territory in terms of cash in the bank. But we've done that because building a marketplace is hard and yeah. you need to get one side solid. So going back to what, what my problem was is I was doing both trying to acquire both sides of the marketplace at once, which is very, very hard when you haven't got good money behind you and good yes. team, a good team behind you. So I was like burnt out on both ends. Whereas now I sit here and we've got a huge pipeline of supply across given cities. And that's because we've strategically went for supply first. Because we know if we get the supply, we've already proven that we've got, we can get students and we've got partnerships with acquisition channels for students that aren't cost, cost heavy like PPC. Yeah, sure. that. But yeah, my, my issue was, and I know that's a big answer, which is, I thought that me as Lydia could do everything, which founders in the early days, your, your hands are in so many different pots at once, but building a marketplace, building two sides at once is a recipe for disaster. Um, and I've spoken to lots of people who've built marketplaces, who've failed, who've succeeded, and they all say the same thing. You've just got to nail one side. That's really great advice. I really like that. Well, it's also good advice as well as also a mistake that you made. So that's cool. The second question I always ask is, if someone is to the show right now, and they are, they've just come up with an idea. They've seen a problem that they want to solve. What is the first thing they should do? What's the thing they should focus on straight away? Go out and speak to people. That's the one. Because you've just got this natural bias, haven't you, of I know best. There's a really good book called, I, I read lots of books, uh, The Mum Test. And the thing is, if you tell your mum that you've got an idea, she's just going to be biased and be like, Lydia, especially if it's my mum. You know, I still live at home, right? Yeah, yeah. Lydia, that sounds fantastic. Go and do it. Um, whereas what you need to do is you need to go out and speak to people. And if you think about housemates, we've always been feedback driven to get us here. We started from Ho Hang and it, I wouldn't have got here if I didn't speak to thousands of students 
And sometimes you feel like, oh, am I wasting my time? But you will find, you will find the line of best fit. In other words, you will find the thing that keeps on propping up that one thing. And it's also, there's a lot of pivoting to get there. What you think you're going to build when you start out isn't what you will end up with. And there's always that thing. So before you even build anything, speak to people is my advice. It's great advice. Okay. And last question. What is your, I just got emailed in the other day. It's a good question. What is your best growth hack? Partnership. That's a good one. Because, you know, we live in a world where PPC is notoriously expensive, especially in our sector. You've got so many people going for student accommodation rooms, all these things. Yeah. You know, you can go into that bid and war or you can play the long-term game, which I would rather play the long-term game, which is let me build fantastic partnerships and relationships that are going to be fantastic acquisition channels for the next five to seven years if we get them right. Yet they're slow burn and you're not going to get the return there and then and they need to mature. Um, but, you know, we're focused on them a lot because if your competitors got more money than you, even if your product is better, and for us as housemates, I say we're competing on products because no one's ever built a product company in our space before, in my eyes, a real tech company on brand because there's no for, no brand that comes to mind and community because we're feedback driven. There are big three things that we're gonna win on. But if I sit here today, I know my competitors have got more money than me to run on PPC. So I would rather go and build really strategic partnerships with agents and referral channels who I know there's a mutual energy there of there's either a revenue split or there's a kickback of some sort, but people will stay with you long-term because they're getting something as well out of it. I think that's great advice. I love it. Lydia, you've blown my mind. You are incredibly impressive. Thanks so much. And look, best of luck. I know you're raising now. You're raising how much? Two million seed. Sounds like a good amount of money. Best of luck. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. Thank you.